Hey folks, John here from AS for Alcoholic again. Today's conversation is with Drew Talbert. He is a writer, comedian, actor, performer. Um, I found him on TikTok doing uh, restaurants or service industry uh, sketches. Absolutely hilarious, totally spot on and fantastic. Um, and then he mentioned one time that he was sober and I thought it would be great to have him on the show. So we discussed getting sober. We discussed being high and drunk and being an addict in the restaurant business, which has a whole nother layer of um, exhaustive pain to it. So um, it was a great conversation and I really loved his take on getting sober and that he um, and he talks a lot about the hope that he found that led him to where he is now. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Drew Talbert. Good morning, Drew. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, it's always a pleasure to find somebody else out there on the internet, as it were, in real life that is sober and doing fun and creative stuff. Not only that, but um, as somebody who's been a bartender and a server for, uh, I don't know, 15 years now, um, yeah. I definitely can relate <laughs> to all of the content that you create. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> and for those listening who don't know, uh, what I, what I just call it bistro huddy. I mean, is that the, uh, that's the, fictional... yeah, that's the, well, that's the name of the restaurant that all the videos take place in. I mm -hmm. was working on a sketch early on and needed a, a name to i was making a fake menu and my son's name is hudson mm. and i was like bistro huddy i just you know i was in a hurry and <clears throat> so i just did that printed out the fake menu and and then it became bistro huddy you know named after named after him though, yeah. yeah my favorite was um the, the most one of the most recent ones was the one where the bartender comes up with the fancy cocktail because that was also my job as the uh -huh. you know lead bartender in many places was uh -huh. to come up with these cocktails. And as you know, um, we all love to be fancy and stroke our own egos and shrubs yeah. and tinctures and blah, blah, blah. And then you're like, how am I out of egg whites? And it's only 5.30 or whatever, right? Now you have to make them. Yeah, you have to literally make them in the middle of the, the rush. I saw it so many times. I never bartended. I was always a server, 23 mm -hmm. years of serving, but like I I would see it from the server's point of view, the bartenders rolling their eyes at me ordering the very thing they created. And yeah. I forgot about it. Um, the idea came from a, a someone who watches the videos who messaged my wife, uh, the idea. So that's what a lot, some of the ideas come that way. People send them in and you know, we, we note it with a little credit idea by or whatever, but that one was, but a lot of times someone will submit an idea like that. I'm like, oh yes, it just brings the memory. Yeah. Like I mean, there's, there's no shortage of, um, of material, right? Yeah. I'm constantly <laughs> thinking of things when I'm at work. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I also, you know, you mentioned this a while back, um, about being sober. And that was the reason why, uh, you know, I wanted to have you on and discuss this, especially somebody who has gotten sober and worked in restaurants, because yeah. 
as we know, those of us who have worked in restaurants and for those who haven't, um, they are fraught with peril, you know, alcoholism, drug abuse, promiscuity, um, any number of horrible bad habits that will ruin your life if left (laughs) unchecked. Yeah. Um, So anger, resentment. uh, (laughs) Right? Anger and resentment every single moment for, for ridiculous yeah. things because my Brussels sprouts aren't ready or they came out too quick, yeah. <laughs> whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, just, just, to, and just the way that the tone that you're treated with sometimes as a full grown adult feels very, just can get to you at times, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when you like, and so you what is your sobriety date or what would you consider your clean day? No, well, no, November 10th of 2014. Okay. Okay. So seven years, almost seven years coming up on almost seven, seven years. years. Awesome. Well, congratulations on that one. Thank um, you. what was the first, like the earliest memory you have with alcohol in either with yourself or family or, um, as a kid or as a teenager, how far back does it go? So for me, um, uh, it came late. I was raised in a um, very religious house and there were teetotalers. I think I saw my dad drink wine maybe like five times and he, when he had an upset stomach or whatever. I learned later he drank early, like when he was a teenager in his 20s. There was this whole side to him I never <laughs> knew till later. But um, they were and legit teetotalers. They were like all in, very happy. And, and it just wasn't around. And then um, I was really happy with my circle of friends that didn't do that. And so mm-hmm. I, my life kind of revolved around this church we were going to. And so I just, I wasn't even that tempted by it, avoided parties and that kind of thing. And then in college, I ended up going to this college, same kind of thing. It wasn't around my circle of friends that much. It was a very unusual college experience. I loved it, but it just wasn't circled around that. And it wasn't till um, I think the, my, well, I had had like a, maybe a sip of a beer or something in my early twenties and stuff like that. But I got intoxicated the first time I was like 21 after I'd moved to, uh, another, I moved from Tennessee to California. I was, um, starting to reprocess. I, I re rethinking everything I believed in terms of religion and social things and like my world point of view. And so I was in a state of kind of like for the first time away from where I grew up and kind of being able to explore ideas and things and this big changes in my life there. And with that, you know, I was like, Oh, you know, maybe I'll try this and that. So, and uh, it was very infrequent though. I didn't drink heavily that much still and it wasn't until literally my 30s when I'd been drinking for a while regularly at that point but I ended up in a relationship with this uh, woman and she introduced me to um, ecstasy and I resisted it for a while I was actually offended that she would push it on me because I was very anti-drugs, even though I drank regularly. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, it, it, the short version of the end of this, so it'll drag on forever is basically 
it went from that to doing that kind of on a regular basis with her and then a small group of friends. And then it went into um, cocaine. And that's the one that really got me. And I became very addicted to that. And the drinking just kind of kept escalating throughout all that. And it was tied in completely. But the one that really made me go off the rails substance-wise was the cocaine. And she and I agreed to stop doing it. And then she did and I couldn't. So then I was secretly doing it behind her back while we were living Uh together. And, you know, getting my, you know, I always had to have my own bag with me at parties, even if there was some shared and, you know, I was doing it, waking up, doing it, working completely loaded and, you know, all that constantly. And it was, you know, tried to quit on my own a few times, that kind of thing. And then uh, I think I maybe passed your answer to your first question though. So, well, yeah. Um, so when you, so cocaine was the, was the main, was the main one, right? Not necessarily mm-hmm. alcohol. So in, in my experience, Correct, yeah. cocaine was always the, was the way that I could drink more. It was always the way like, oh, yeah. oh let's, let's snort a couple of lines and then we can drink for the next, you know, four hours or whatever, after we'd <laughs> already been drinking for four or yeah. six hours. <clears throat> yeah. But it totally does that. It helped me work. I could work and people didn't even know how much I'd had to drink because of the cocaine. Right. Yeah. But specifically, would you cocaine be would be completely separate or was alcohol al- always um, sort of attached to that? Um, I it's hard for me to like if I went back in time before I was um, doing any cocaine, any of the hard or speed drugs or anything like that. And I was just drinking. Mm hmm. I would tell you, if we go back in time, you and I right now, I would tell you, I don't have a drinking problem, but I drank daily. Like she and I would have wine. There would be no way we'd go out to dinner or even like a lunch trip or something like that and not have wine or drinks. And we drink every night. I would drink until I was at least buzzed, mm-hmm. but I did, because I didn't ever you know, I don't think I put myself in too much harm's way or, you know, I, I held a job and never anything like that. I would have told you at the time I didn't have a drinking problem. Hmm. I don't know now looking back if I agree with that, you know what I mean? But it wasn't until the cocaine came into it that I felt completely powerless and out of control. That's when I had those feelings of like, I can't control this. Like, I felt like with drinking, if someone said, oh, we, we can't drink tonight, I'd have no problem with that. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't until those came into the picture that, and for me, it was like, I, when I decided to get clean, I knew I had to stop drinking too, because if I had a drink, it was only a matter of time before I was going to call a dealer or something. It just eliminated any chance I had it. Keeping it is, <laughs> it is definitely alcohol is definitely more of a gateway drug than, than anything else I have found. Um, yeah. because it just we, kills your ability to resist, you know? Yes, absolutely. So you had found this, you had found cocaine and it, it was working in some way for a while, at least that's how it felt. Um, 
and you were doing it with, I mean, outside of, there was no external um, troubles or issues. Did you have? Oh, it was, you know, um, what's funny is like, I'm a relatively social person, but for me, the cocaine after it really became a thing I did privately alone at home Mm. at night. So I'd go, let's say, work my shift at a restaurant, come home. She's asleep. She wakes up to train clients as a personal trainer in the morning. So I'm home relatively alone in this apartment, you know, but in my little living room area. And that's when I would just do it until I black out. You know, I would just go till I would crash. Yeah. Drinking maybe, you know, God knows how much. I'd have a drink or two at work, you know, my shift drink, come home, completely get loaded up and do blow until I crashed. And just alone. And all it would do is just numb me. And I wasn't really getting, I don't remember feeling that much high, you know, or like, right. It'd be like, maybe it got, when you're doing it that much, it gets to a point where you get like 20 minutes maybe. And then it's like hours of just like, like the, the rat pushing the lever until you collapse. And I would and just repeat every night like that. It, matter of fact, going out socially and having a drink or something, I would just get, I couldn't wait till I could get home and just go into my little mode. And it was tied in externally, like you were saying, to just feelings of failure. I was at an age, I'd moved out to LA to be an actor, writer, and it wasn't happening. Uh, The relationship was toxic. You know, I'm with someone now that's amazing and I have a a really great relationship, but this particular person and I just wasn't working. Yeah. And I'm not blaming uh, her. It wasn't right. And, and so I feel, I felt like a failure at every level. And I think for me, it was just like, it was a way to numb myself three or four hours every day. Yeah. Yeah. It's very easy to, you know, I, I think the restaurant business requires a huge amount of vigilance to be in it and to live healthfully, (laughs) you know, Yeah. because not just drugs and alcohol alone, I'm surrounded Mm -hmm. by delicious food filled with butter and salt and sugar that is always almost consistently available to me. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, um, and it's and it's <laughs> yeah. exhausting, and I'm on my feet, and oftentimes being, you know, like you said, being um, being treated less than as an, as an adult, and you're like, I just need something to numb it, and it's very, yeah. it is easy, and and you know, I can completely understand it, and especially a home alone, wanting to just be alone and isolate away from people when I've had to deal with so many people yeah. on a reg on a nightly basis, <clears throat> hundreds yeah. sometimes in a very mm-hmm. high stress situation. And I can remember some of those nights um, with, this was speed in particular, but just being by myself in that room. Like I couldn't wait to get there. And I knew I had my little secret stash. Yeah. yeah that was it. And, and then of course I was doing it during the day too. If she wasn't around or I, you know, I would, yeah, those days but she was gone for hours, I'd get loaded and then go to work, you know, any chance I had alone, it was just like, um, and then, so were there other like legal consequences or did anything come of this or what was the break? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
you would think that would have done it, but I had, uh, <laughs> I got arrested trying to purchase from an undercover officer in uh, 2012, I believe. And, um, and, the California laws were good for me because it had been passed maybe 10, 15 years before that your first offense, because I'd never been arrested for anything. I was able to attend meetings, Narcotics Anonymous, and show the court I attended these meetings. And then they would uh, take it off. And you could legally even say to future employers that you'd never even been arrested. So if you jump through these hoops, going through the NA meetings, you can go back, show the proof of that. And under, I forget the name of the code or whatever, mm -hmm. you're good. But you do have a period of, uh, you know, time where if you, if I was arrested again, then it's retroactively like, boom, boom, and you're going to prison. And, you know, it would have been really bad. Right. But I did go to the NA meetings. And I did show the court and they did all that and it was gone from my record and I was able to carry about. So I only spent the one afternoon in jail. Um, and then I was, uh, you know, uh, out, but, and then you would think that would have scared me enough. And then I did for a while. And I remember that moment I was literally walking and I was, they had basically arrested my dealer and then gotten, and then whenever his phone. And so when I texted my dealer, basically that's how it happened. Got so it. Of course, I'm not going to contact that guy anymore. Right. Right. And I <clears throat> for a few minutes after that, fine. I remember walking through the room I was serving in at this restaurant and I feel a buzz in my pocket. And I went into the back area and I looked at it and it was his name. He said, Hey, this is so-and-so I got a new number. And I remember and people who are addicts will understand this feeling of inevitability, that feeling of like, I immediately knew it wouldn't be tonight because I'm scared this could be a setup too or whatever. But it, I remember it won't be tonight. It won't be maybe in the next day or two, but I am going to text this number and I'm going to try it. I just know I am. I'm fucked. Oh, sorry for the language. No, but, it's fine. And then, and then it wasn't, I don't know, maybe a week. I couldn't resist it anymore. And I texted it. I'm going to go carefully. I'll meet him. And, you know, and it, it was actually legit. He had got a new number and boom, I was back on for another couple of years before I got clean. It was just Yeah. There's that sort of sad sigh of resignation. Um, yeah. And I think about that because, you know, I've been six years sober and I'm always sort of looking for moments where like, well, the relapse doesn't start with the first drink. It starts long before that. And so there's always little things like, am I not working my program well enough? Am I not doing the right things and stuff like that? And so I think that I'm hyper aware of that, but I also am not delusional enough to think that there aren't blind spots, right? Even for somebody who is really focused on this stuff, maybe I'm not oh, focused yeah. enough or, you know, gosh, I haven't been to a meeting, a real meeting in a very long time, 2020 and all that stuff. Right. So, um, I completely understand that, that, you know, you said the inevitability that it's going to happen yeah, and it really sucks. Like, I mean, it more than sucks. It's awful. Right. Um, so you, you went back out for, or you, you, you were using again for, you said a couple of years. Yeah. 
And that was 2012. Yeah. So in a couple of years, what was the, um, what was the final snap or was there a final snap? It was, it was like a, a moment of hope that came from creativity. It was like, I remember I started writing these uh, updates after I would come home from work about a table I had served that stood out to me. And sometimes they were like sweet moments between Mm -hmm. an older couple having a romantic moment that I got the privilege of witnessing as their server. Sometimes it was something funny that would happen. Sometimes it was a really obnoxious table or like the dynamic between this husband and wife was so palpably cringy. And I would come home and write a funny little uh, essay about it, I guess Uh you could say. David Sedaris style. And um, I called them Facebook up, or I'm sorry, server updates, because they mm-hmm. were on Facebook, Facebook updates, <laughs> server updates. And because I, I, I mentioned I moved out to LA to be an actor, I had found a home at this uh, improv theater and school called The Groundlings. And it's uh, full of talented people, very successful people, a lot of, you know, sort of Melissa McCarthy and you know, Will Ferrell and all them came out of. And um, so I have all these friends in the business that are working in the business. Anyway, I would write these and it was, the reaction was so different than anything else I had done, my little jokes or whatever on their videos I'd made. It was very obvious that this was striking a chord. And just from the overwhelming response, the comments come from people that are highly respected and like, and it was good, you know, and it was creative. And I had killed so much of that, just doing the drugs and feeling so hopeless and like a failure. And this was this crack of light creatively that I still had a chance to offer the world something, you know, that I had spent my life trying to do, you know, mm-hmm. comedy and writing and acting. And, and so that was the moment I remember I... I'm not giving up yet, you know, and I can't do this if I'm still doing that, you know, and I texted my friend who had been clean for a while, who didn't even know I was doing it. I kept this so secret from people. Yeah. And uh, I said, I'm going to a meeting and I'm dumping the rest of this out. I just needed to let someone know, emptied the rest of the bag I had into the toilet, flushed it and found the closest NA meeting. So the court system worked. It introduced me to NA and got me comfortable being in those rooms, even though I felt like a little bit of an outsider just doing it to check a box, but it told me where the rooms were. It helped me meet some people there. So when I was ready, it was easy for me to go. So applause to the government they got one you know right there <laughs> and um and and then the other big thing was the relationship i have with my my wife andrea uh she and i had started to flirt at work i met her at the restaurant and we were talking and more and more and um it's really kind of like i'm really into her and again i can't pursue a relationship doing what i'm doing and she didn't know about it, you know? Right. So it was a combination of those two things that was the spark that helped me make the decision to do something real about this. 
Well, I think this is, I think this is great because, and this is, this is different than a lot of the stories that I've heard in my own personal one, where a lot of it comes from the sort of people will call it the gift of desperation or the rock bottom, but rather you saw some hope come your way and you were able to say, you know what, I have to make this decision one way or the other. You obviously saw the darkness, you lived it. I mean, for years and years and years, and then to say, oh, okay, so here's something I'm interested in. Here's something that is getting positive feedback. I can either put my energy toward a relationship, toward writing, or I can continue to do what I've done and I see where I've been, right? And I knew I was going to end up either homeless or in jail or something. I could just feel it, you know, and the, yeah. the guy in the apartment next to me passed away a month before that this older guy and he found out he drank himself to death and uh i remember feeling like i just had it was a combination of, of several things you know leading up to it so in these these meetings um you know and you said that uh you you went in there did you did you find that that worked for you or were there certain things you pulled from it um how long did you did you do that for? Nine months, uh, going pretty regularly. Um, not every day, but many times a week, and right. um, at first daily. And uh, part of it was that you know I found a little group that I liked, you know, and it was relationships and accountability is the biggest thing I would say. Mm. Just you know, I'm wired that way anyway people pleaser I was always a good student it's a good boy you know growing up so like mm-hmm. I I knew I knew the reason I kept it so secret is that I knew the minute I told anybody I was gonna probably overcome it I just wasn't ready mm. you know so the minute I texted that friend and started showing up I knew I had a good chance right. to get this right because of the way I'm wired and I had a good family background and you know, I have some advantages that some people don't have trying to get clean. Right. And, um, and I knew if I just got the word out there. And so one of the first, I, I waited a few months. So I shown myself, I could even go a few months without and But then mm-hmm. I, one of the next things I did was one at a time called people in my family face to face, you know, zoom and uh facetime i think at the time we weren't really doing a lot of zoom then but and told them so i'm like telling my parents telling my sister my brother their spouses you know for the first they didn't even know i'm like hey i'm an addict i'm I'm clean now but and i was very grateful that i had the chance to tell them as opposed to them finding out i was in prison you know right or dead right so I feel very grateful that for that, but that's one of the first things. I just accountability. The rooms of NA gave me that. They gave me people, you know, that I could talk to and counsel me and structure for those mm-hmm. when I'm first getting clean. Just to have that, got to go to this meeting today. You know, that's the thing I'm doing, and uh, that was that was great. That's huge too. Um, structure is one of those things that I didn't realize how badly I needed to get sober. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I remember 
I wanted to try some different meetings and I had been, you know, going to AA meetings and there, there's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of structure in AA. Some people might disagree with that, but, um, I feel like there is, there was for me. And I remember going to a, um, a Buddhist, um, recovery meeting and Mm. sitting there and it was far more lax and it was far more sort of fluid and I remember enjoying it, but when I got home and I told my girlfriend at the time, and I said, yeah, I don't know how any of these people are staying sober. There's no structure there. And she said, John, you're the one who needs the structure. Don't, you know, you can't go blaming this other thing or thinking this other thing doesn't work. It's you who needs it. And I was like, oh, okay. So that was yeah. something that I had learned about myself. And even though I thought, well, I, you know, be working in the restaurant biz, like, oh, I thrive on chaos and multitasking and, and all yeah. this stuff. And then going, oh, wait a second, let's slow down, take it one step at a time, pun intended. And, um, you know, that was super helpful to me. So I, um, I wonder if you felt similarly about structure in the, in the program, at least for the time that you were there. Yeah, that definitely, definitely helped me uh, to have that kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then, so you, you've been seven years sober now. Are you still in the restaurant business currently? Uh, no, I'm just full-time making content now. Okay. Um, I stopped when COVID started and then this took off. Right. Well, um, there's, there's another, um, strange blessing, right? <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Time um, with my two, two and a half year old. That know, too. Yeah. So let me ask you about being sober and working in a restaurant. <laughs> and sure. um, the, I think one of the things when we first get sober, we become hyper aware of our, um, our feelings, a lot of our bad feelings, a lot of our uncomfortable feelings. And in a restaurant situation, I'm often required to kind of shove that down and deal with the, the thing at hand, which is creating this fun experience for people, even though I may not yeah. be into it. Um, yeah. Was that challenging at first? Um, yeah. Yeah. I remember I got, I remember being mad at myself because I got clean sober um, right before my the annual, I'd worked at this restaurant for like years mm-hmm. and every year they do this stout festival and they're known for their 42 taps, always rotating, amazing beers. And so they would do this, like 25 of the taps would become these rare stouts, all high gravity, rich, like my favorite beer anyway. And so I remember getting clean and then like the next week was stout fest. I was like, damn it. I couldn't have waited a couple of weeks. <laughs> but I got through that and I knew I could get through anything. And I remember like walking with trays and like you reach, like the bartender puts the drinks up and you reach and grab them and someone just dribble off onto your hand. You know what I mean? And just yeah. being like, I just lick my hand right now. Like, you know, it's like, it's literally all around you. Like booze is literally falling onto your skin as you're serving it. You know what yes. I mean? And like, and they would offer you a shift drink at this place. It was a not a corporate place. It was just a chef-owned, operated bistro. And so every shift you worked, you got a free beer, you know. 
So mm-hmm. it's always I had to stop doing that. And that's really hard for for me from even an economic standpoint, turning down a right. anything. I would be like, hey, can you just make this like a pulled pork sandwich? Yeah. Right. I always it's so funny, too, because, they'll, you know, I, I live in, in wine country and there's always these field trips to the wineries and stuff like that. And I'm like, can I just get the seventy five dollar tasting fee that, you know, that you're not having to pay? You know, can I get that? Because I don't do any of this stuff. Calculated so. it once. I like did the numbers for the owner after like five years of being sober. I was like, here's how much I've saved you. Every drink is worth whatever, five, six dollars. I, I guess cost is what I should have done. Right. Like, you know? Yeah. And I did that times five a week times that. I was like thousand. I'm like, you need to appreciate me more. I've saved you like three thousand dollars. Right, right. Um, but also there's, I think there's a lot of benefits to being sober in the restaurant business too. I don't think that it's all this torture of wanting to lick margaritas off your hands and stuff like that. Right. I mean, there is that. And that definitely is something where, you know, you get a waft of something and I'm like, oh yeah, that reminds me of, you know, that you get a little excited, but also I'm like, oh God, there's that smell again. Um, but you know, I'm able to maintain a little bit better, a lot better, Uh I should say. Um, and also, I mean, I can always, my salesmanship, right. It's still, well, what is, what is the, give me the tasting notes on this Chardonnay and I'll just sell it. Right. I don't have to taste. Every oh, that's beer. What, yeah. That's what you do. You just, <clears throat> and you have a memory of it. You know what it, you, it tastes mm-hmm. like. Right. And I'm also, um, I can, yeah, just that I can maintain myself, my, my composure a lot better when I'm not drinking. Oh, for sure. I was. <laughs> I gotten really, uh, my, my temper had really gotten short. I remember when I was like, really, I thought I was like a genius cause I could get so loaded and go work, but I would just, my temper was so short and mm-hmm. I was forgetting stuff, making mistakes. If I'm being really honest, you know, and that all got cleaned up a lot. And yeah, I was able to take things in stride a little bit more just a healthier, you know, more present way to be, you know, you just feel more present, I think. Yeah. You know, when you're, when you're drinking, when you're an addict and you're, um, you're in it, you know, and you're using, you're always in the future. When can I get that? When can I get more of that? And when you're not, you're able to be in the present. It's impossible to be in the in the moment when you're using. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Yeah. Um, for sure. Always thinking about the next drink or what I'm going to do later. That's yeah. a, that's a great point. I mean, that goes with any addiction, right? I mean, that's, yeah. you're never in the moment. You can't always, be. Yeah. I mean, even with me, I did it. I had an issue with ice cream in early and even the middle of my sobriety. And I was like, that was a big problem. And I was like, ice cream, this is insane. But it was the same exact thing. Gosh, when can I get that next pint? Right. Um, So we're talking set almost seven years on. Um, Is there anything in, in sobriety or recovery that you still struggle with? Um. I not, not in terms of like the actual substances. Like I, I, I've moved to a point where maybe once or twice a year, I'll have that little 
soft urge that goes away pretty easily. So that's right. not really a problem right now. But it's it's more just the addictive traits like you're talking about with ice cream that I have to check myself with. Like mm-hmm. right now it's with views, you know, I'm making content and I found an audience and TikTok in particular will just blow up your videos, you know, and like I'm close to a million followers on there and it's like videos will get really big views or they won't, you know. And if I get a couple my wife will notice. She's like, I'll be acting a certain way. Short, short with her, with the kid and like this. And she's like, she said it once. She's like, you're acting like this because your video's not doing well. <laughs> and it's like, I become addicted to getting those, that feedback, that like validation, I think is, yeah. the word, you know, your comments and likes and, and I'm addicted to that. And sometimes I find myself making another one when I should just take some time off for mental health or to prioritize family or this and that. And I'm in the room making another one because I need another hit of that, those likes and that validation. And so that's actually relatively speaking, a, a healthier version of it because it's productive and it's leading to some financial benefits to our family and things like that. But I have to be careful and like, we have conversations about it, my wife and I, and like dial it back sometimes and force myself. And I can feel it as an addict does. Yeah. If I like, okay, tonight I'm not making a video. I'm going to spend it doing this. I feel it. It's like almost under my skin, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that um, for anyone who does any big or small creating any sort of content video or otherwise for the, for the internet, for the world, there's always this, at least, and for me, there's been a sense of productivity, right? And am I doing enough? And should I be doing more? And literally, there's nobody around asking me to do anything, you know, other than other than the internet, right? Then I'm like, check those views. What are the how many listens? How many downloads? Right? And I'm I'm going. Right. There's no one around. No one. There's there's no you know. No one is sending me any memos about what I need to get done this week. And it's all in my head. And I have to, again, like you said, dial it back and go, you know what? It's really okay. It's a little both. I'm not saying, you know, Mm -hmm. there's not a good, and and quite frankly, there's other factors. My age, you know, finally to find an audience in my forties, I do need to like make hay right now. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You know, I'm not young. So like there's some other parts of it, but, but I still have to struggle for balance. I think is what I'm saying. For sure. For sure. That personality was there before I started drinking or using drugs, you know, I remember the first sign of it was uh, online poker, you know, before I ever was a heavy drinker. I got into that back in the early two thousands when a lot of people did. And I remember falling asleep betting and, you know, doing it in between shifts at a restaurant. So it's just there. like on your phone. Yeah. It was on the computer. It was like oh. uh, playing online. Yeah. Wow. And it was like, yeah. So it's like that addictive personality is just looking for the next thing to, to glom onto. Hmm. Well, what, um, and my last question is um, what, what advice for anybody who's struggling with any of this addiction in or out of the restaurant business, what advice would you give to somebody who um, maybe wants to quit? I would say 
based off my experience and what I've heard from other people, the biggest things are accountability and something to live for. Something that you can get passionate about and care about doing that's that you want to to do that 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 gives you uh hope it could be creative it could be a relationship you know but relationship is huge because it brings some accountability with it and it gives you some someone outside of yourself to care for and someone something that can be bigger than you is a relationship mm-hmm. and uh but find something that you actually want to do this for. It's not, I don't think it's enough just to want to be clean or sober for just the sake of it. You know, this life is so absurd. Sometimes it's just an absurd situation. We're all in, you know, the fact that we're even here and what are we doing? Why, what is life? All these big questions. It's it, you have to have something that mood drives you on it can be small it doesn't have to be like changing the world or it could be anything you know that you yeah. just really yeah. you wake up and you want to to do you know yeah no i, I you're absolutely right finding purpose big or small small or big um and um yeah i well thank you so much drew for doing this and taking the time um, where can people find your stuff? Because I found you on TikTok. Speaking of, as a man okay. in, in in his forties as well, um, yeah. but uh, yeah. So and it's absolutely hilarious and spot on. But where can people find you to check you out? TikTok would be at Drew underscore Talbert. Okay, because uh, there was already a, at Drew Talbert somewhere out there, um, and then. Instagram, I post the same videos. 99% of the videos on TikTok are also on Instagram at Drew Talbert, all one word together. And then um, I post a lot of them on YouTube. I've kind of taken a break from that. I want to make YouTube feel a little different, but you can search for Drew Talbert on YouTube and you'll find me there. And then I'm on Facebook. I post almost all of them on Facebook. I have a page there. That's uh, it's a fun community of most facebook's the most almost all service industry people right so they found me there and uh so if you're not on tiktok or instagram but you're on facebook just look for me there too that's awesome well again thank you for thank you for taking the time to share and i think it's a very um a very important thing to remember especially being in the restaurant business that it can feel like a a trap and congratulations, uh, you know, in addiction and the restaurant biz feeling like a trap. And also, like I was saying, congratulations on being able to do this full time. You know, yeah. I mean, you. I'm, I've always been very grateful for my opportunities in, in the bar and restaurant industry, and I would not be smirch it at all, but also, um, yeah, I'm always happy to see somebody who is able to do something that they that they wanted to do that you you've taken that yeah. that spark of hope and been able to finally create something that connects with people, you know, I yeah. think it's important. Um, so yeah, thank you very much, Drew. I appreciate it. Oh, one more place to find me if you're yes. uh, we my wife and I do a restaurant themed comedy show 
Wednesday nights on Twitch. That's improv based because I'm an improv teacher. Okay. And so um, uh, we we bring on characters from Bistro Huddy that you can interact with, and then we create a new character every week based off suggestions from the okay. viewers. And we've got a family growing there a lot. You know, it's small, but it's like everybody's starting to get to know each other, and it's a real fun community. Uh, so Bistro Huddy Live on Twitch is at 8 p.m. Uh, Pacific time. So it's late for East Coasters, but we have to do it after our kid goes to bed. So, <laughs> Got it. Well, that's awesome. That I will um, I will look that up. You said Wednesday nights at 8 p.m.? Wednesday nights, 8 p.m. Yeah, awesome. Bistro Huddy Live. Well, Drew, thank you again very much. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you, John. Thanks again for listening. Our music, as always, is by Neglect. You can find more of his stuff at neglect.bandcamp.com. And you can find us on all social media platforms that matter, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can reach us at asforalcoholic at gmail.com. Talk to you later. Yeah. <laughs>